it was about two years ago that, uh, that my wife and I wound up taking a class that is called Perspectives. There's many people in here who have taken that class. And if you were here last week, you heard Todd Aaron speak on the biblical basis for world mission. And it is, man, that is a solid, solid word right there, that if you want to know what you're created for, You've got to know what God created you for. You've got to know his word. What's his purpose? Why, why are we here? And so my wife and I took this class, and we, through the class, got an understanding that we're supposed to be a part of what God's doing. We're supposed to be a part of, of taking his name to the nations. And we didn't exactly know what that looked like or what that meant, but kind of uh, halfway through the class, uh, we, we wound up uh, talking with some of our friends who live in a small country in West Africa called Guinea-Bissau. And so uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to go and spend some time there. We're actually going to try to spend close to two months there. But some things happened, got cut a little short. We wound up spending about a month there. My wife is a school teacher. And uh, so she went over and she was able to teach Muslims English. And the really cool thing about it is the English that she was teaching them was the word of God. And so she got to see as she was teaching them these scriptures that it got in their heart began and began to really change their life. Uh, I was there and began to, uh, to, I was trying to head up and start a new sports ministry, a basketball ministry to where we could use sports and then preach the gospel and did some of that. And there was some good fruit. But as we were saying, God, we want to be a part of your global mission. We want to be a part of what you're doing what does that look like? What does that mean? And we, uh, a, a huge part of that, we knew that it was preaching God's word to the nations, but we also knew that it entailed several other things of getting a global perspective, but we didn't know how to do that or really what it meant. Uh, as we were in Guinea-Bissau, there was the name of a man that kept coming up over and over and over and over again, and his name was Fode. Uh, and this is, I actually have a picture that we can show you, and uh, it's actually Fode, not Sode, but uh, that is him. That's me and him in Guinea-Bissau. And what I kept hearing about this guy was of his devotion to the Lord, that he, that he was just so wholeheartedly in love with God that, that he had even risked several things. And so I was like, man, I want to meet up with this guy. And so we get, I wind up scheduling a meeting with this guy through several other people. And we go and we, we sit down and we're talking. I said, man, just tell me about your faith. I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about uh, just different things in your life, your uh, Christianity and how that plays a part in your life. And so he shared that, and he asked me some things, and I shared with him. And uh, it, I don't know if you guys can tell or not, but just by the picture that's, on, that's up here, his, his, there's some, there was something wrong with his mouth. And, and I could tell that as I was talking with him, and he would barely open his mouth when he would speak. And so I was just, uh, it was just something that was very noticeable to me. And, and I was wondering what was going on. So I said, Fody, tell me your testimony. How did you come to know Christ? How did you come to know the Lord? And uh, so Fode begins to tell me, he said, man, he said, I don't live in the city. This picture was taken in the capital city of Guinea-Bissau. He said, but I live in a village. That's where I grew up. My family lives out there. To this day, they still live out there. And he said, so we were out there when I was a young boy, and there were some missionaries who came through to our village, just like kind of how we do in Mali. We go to the city, and then we actually wind up going out to the villages of Mali and, and sharing stories with Christ. He said, so some missionaries came. They told me creation to Christ, basically from Genesis to, to Revelation and, and everything in between. And he said, it was, it was on a day when I was, I think he said he was 15 or 16 years old. He said, that's when I came to know the Lord. And he said, man, I was so excited. God began to do a work in my life. He said, it was just, it was everything to me. I go, man, that's awesome. He said, but, but here's, here's the strange thing. He said, it, it wasn't okay with everybody else. He, people weren't okay with me becoming a Christian. He said, we, we live in, it's like a 99 point something percent uh, Islamic nation. 
and, and they have several laws that if you become a Christian, if you go against that, that, that there is a severe punishment for that. And he said, the people who were really against everything that I was talking about was my family. He said, first off, my brother came to me. He said, if you don't denounce Christ, he said, there's going to be, we're going to have some problems. Then his mom came to him. Then his uncles came to him. Then his entire family came to him and said, we have an issue with what you're doing, with what you're talking about, with what you're sharing. There, you have two choices, basically. You can either denounce Christ and, and stay with being a Muslim, uh, or there's going to be consequences for that. And, and Fode said, I'm following Christ. He said, God has changed my heart. He's changed my life. He said, I'm following Christ. And so that night, Fode is asleep in his bed, and he begins to hear something outside of his door. And as he wakes up, he sees his brother standing over him with a club in his hand, and his brother hits him in the side of his mouth and knocks out every single teeth in his head. Behind his brother, his mom walks in, his uncles walk in, the rest of his family walk in, and they begin to punch him, kick him, and hit him with sticks. And, and I remember as I'm sitting in, in this little hut in Africa, and I'm listening to this man tell me about what he suffered for Christ, and then I look at my life and what I've possibly given for Christ, and I, there's something different. E- either, either Fode knows to, he, either he knows Jesus, uh, a Jesus, and I know a Jesus, and they're two totally different people, or the Jesus that we know are the same person, and his devotion to Christ is maybe greater than mine, like in a way that he would give everything for him. And I remember asking Fode, I said, dude, why would you do that? Why would you go through that? Why wouldn't you just denounce Christ? And he says, because Jesus saved me. I mean, just very simply, Jesus saved me. I go, Jesus saved me too, but, man, I don't know wind up coming back to the United States and that was just, uh, it was uh, a mile marker in my life where God has given me that global perspective. Maybe Christianity here and Christianity there, maybe they're just two totally different things. Come back here, three months later, actually last Thanksgiving, I'm on a plane back to West Africa going to Mali with a team uh, from Grace Point and wind up encountering a translator over there. One of the guys who several people in this church knows, he's been a translator with us for a long time and uh, he's a Muslim and he said, Pete, he said, I want to know Christ. How much easier does it get than that? I'm going, man, I can tell you all about Jesus. I can tell you anything. I said, man, you, you want to get saved? You want to give your life to Christ? He said, you don't understand. For me to give my life to Christ, it means throwing every bit of my future away. You see, my family, they're rich. Rich compared to the rest of the people in Mali. My family, they have a business. And they said, they said if I just follow in their footsteps, they're going to give me everything. He said, if I... If I become a Christian, I lose everything. My future, finances, everything that's in place for me to take over. He said, if I become a Christian, all of that's gone. He said, but I want to become a Christian. Now for me, I'm looking at these two men and I'm going, what's different? There's something different and it's not just, man, they live in this different world. They live in a different They have a different government. They have a different setting. They have all these different things. What do I do with that? Because who Jesus is to them and who he is to me, maybe they're two totally different things. And so I began going, God, what do I do? What do I do? Well, maybe these are the only two guys in the world who are like this. That was my thought. Maybe these are the only two guys. And so I thought, let me me go home. Let me study. Let me see what Christianity is like in the rest of the world. And and here's what I found. If you're following along uh, in your study guide, these are some statistics that I'm going to give you. That right now, currently in the world, there are 200 million Christians. 
who don't have their, their foundational human rights, they don't, because of one thing, they are a follower of Jesus Christ. They are denied food. They're denied water. They are imprisoned. They are beaten. What, what we consider as humans to have that we, that we need to survive, they are denied those things based on one thing. One thing. They're a follower of Jesus Christ. As I began to find these statistics, I, I, not only did I come across people who had been persecuted, I came across people who had given their lives for Christ. In the, in the 20th century, 1900 to 1999, an average of 34,400 people a year were wiped off of planet Earth based on one thing. Their faith in Jesus Christ. In the year 2000, 160,000 people wiped off of planet Earth based on one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. Last year in the world, 176,000 people were wiped off of planet Earth based on one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's projected that in the year 2025, 210,000 people will be wiped off of planet Earth based on one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, average that out to see how many people a day that would be. That's about 575 people a day gone, gone. That is, you've put a person in every single chair in this room, add 125 people, and they're gone, disappearing, based on one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. And I go, I look at that, and I go, what do I do with that? Because it's something. It's not, they live over there, I live over here, nothing. We do nothing. And so I thought, okay, I can handle statistics, I can handle history, I can handle stories, but what about, what about God's word? The entire foundation for which I, Pete Finfrock, base my life, and, and for many people in here, it's your foundation. I go, maybe the Bible, if it contradicts all those stats, all those history, all those different things, then maybe I can just take God's word, and if it says something else, I'll go with it. Okay, so I go to God's word, and I study it, and I go, what do you say about this? What do you say about persecution? And here's, here's one thing that I found, is that the entire lens through which many of us read our scripture maybe altered a little bit. Here's why. Because every single author in the New Testament was persecuted for Jesus Christ and then murdered based on one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. The words that were written from Matthew all the way to Revelation was written, is written through blood-soaked hands, people who gave their life, who said Jesus is everything to us. And for us, it's, it's just a little topic. Every, Every single author was martyred except for one, and it was John. John had a little rougher than everybody else. He was boiled in oil three times while he was alive, and it didn't kill him. So they stuck him in prison. You can imagine what a mangled body looked like. And in that prison cell, he would preach the name of Jesus Christ, so much so that the, 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 the guards came to know Christ, and they were so sick of listening to him that they stuck him out on an island called Patmos which is where we get our book of Revelation. John was the very last disciple, his closest friend, he was the very last disciple who was martyred. He watched every single disciple who followed Jesus Christ become a martyr, including his own brother, who was the very first one. The 12 disciples who followed Christ, 10 of the 12 were martyred. Judas hung himself, so he was one of them. John, I just told you about, he was the one boiled in oil, in oil and all 10 of them were martyred for Jesus Christ. What do we do with that? 
We do something with it. It's not just, oh, that was back in the Bible times. This is now, oh, the rest of the world is facing persecution. We don't anymore. The very symbol for which our faith is based is a cross. It's a place of death where Jesus was martyred, where the disciples, Peter, he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die a death like Jesus is. So put me upside down on that thing. So we do something with it. Here's, here's the thing is any time that I have this conversation with people, whether it's, it's people in the church or whether I hear someone speak on it and I get with people who are just talking about persecution, about martyrdom, about those things, there's typically two responses. Typically two responses. And that's, in my message today, that's where we're going. I want to address these two responses. One of them is, listen, we're in America. We're blessed. They're over there. We're in America. This is the, man, I hear this all the time. God has blessed us. God has blessed us, right? God bless America. People over here, maybe God's blessing. I'm not real sure what to do with that. God bless America. So, so what do we do? I mean, we, we've got to do something that their culture, their context, it totally dictates their religion. That it, it says, this is the way that your life's going to be and over here because we don't have persecution because we're open to freedom of religion and, and we just don't do anything with it. We, we've got to do something. It's the mix of the culture, the context, the two different things. We've got to do something with it. And we're going to look at God's word about what he says about the blessing. What does he say about being blessed? And then the second, the second thing that I hear all the time is, why does God allow persecution? Why does God allow persecution? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow hardships? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. If God said he loves us, and yet this book is full of, of people who are persecuted, people around the world are giving their lives for Christ, why would God, who says he loves us, why would he allow that? So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Matthew chapter 5. That's the first place that we are uh, going to be. And... This is, Matthew chapter 5 is called, the, it's the Sermon on the Mount is where that starts. And this is Jesus' first recorded uh, sermon in the Bible. Leading up to this, you have the entire Old Testament, all the stories that we hear from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, all of these, they're pointing forward to Jesus. They're saying, there is a Messiah who's coming. There's someone who's coming. He's going to be the, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so all of the Old Testament, we hear that. Just as Todd said last week, this is one continuous story. There's a beginning, there's the middle, and then there's the end. And, and so we pick up in the New Testament where John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's the guy who's saying, listen, the prophets have said it, the Old Testament have said it, Jesus is about, or the Messiah is about to come. And he goes, he's here. The Messiah is here. And Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist goes, behold, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they understood that as the coming of the Messiah, the one who, who's been talked about for years. And so when Jesus comes on the earth, he had a plan. It Yes, his plan was to come, to die for our sins, to, uh, to be buried and to rise three days later. That is a huge part of the story. But not only is it a part of it, Jesus was very intentional while he was here. It wasn't just to come and, and then to go. He, he had an intention. There's um, a great book on this called uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And it talks about Jesus. When he was here, his plan was to raise up 12 men who would change the entire world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew 4, leading up to that, we see... Uh, Peter, a Peter, Andrew, James, and John are the first four disciples who are called. And, uh, and that brings us into Matthew chapter 5 of where Jesus has his disciples. We actually see this 
uh, from the time, many scholars and theologians say from the time that Jesus called the disciples until the Sermon on the Mount was roughly a day. So for a disciple who's about to hear the Sermon on the Mount, this is a very new, exciting kind of thing. And so here's where Jesus says, As seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Again, there's two different categories of people that we see in the Bible. Todd Aaron spoke last week. He said, there's the Christian, there, there's the Christian life, and then there's the crucified life. The Christian life and the crucified life. The Christian life is people who got the gear on, wearing their Christian shirt, sporting the fish on their car, doing all the right thing. The crucified life is someone who is totally dead. And they said, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And this is what we see when Jesus is speaking. It says the disciples came to him, and then there was the crowd. Understand the context of which he's saying this. He says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I can only imagine as Jesus is reading this scripture and he comes to this last part and his disciples are sitting there knowing what they just left behind, knowing the death that they're going to face, knowing the persecution that leads up to their death. These are the words that Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My point number one, and this is, is, uh, again, going back to my comparison between, we go, God, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And I don't know for you guys, but I go back and I read through there, and he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I go, now that doesn't make sense. Blessed are those who mourn? You mean, wait, Jesus. Blessed are those who are happy, right? Blessed are those who are joyful, who have it going on, who are good. And he says, no. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Then he goes on, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wait, Jesus, you mean blessed are those who are righteous, right? Blessed are those who do hope and action day every single day rather than just one day out of the week, right? Blessed are those who are, who are doing good deeds all the time. Jesus says, no. Blessed are those who hunger in their heart, in their life. They go, God, we want more of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wait, Jesus, you said blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Blessed are those who get their teeth bashed out of their head because they know you. Blessed are those who are beaten to death Blessed are those who are imprisoned because of one thing, their faith in Jesus Christ. And I read those and I go, what does that mean? That's tough, that's tough. And here's here's what I found after looking through Scripture is is that when Jesus uses the word blessed, at times when Jesus uses the word blessed and when we use the word blessed, sometimes they're two totally different things. Sometimes when when we use the word blessed, we go, God, thank you for blessing me with a nice house, Nice family, nice car, nice future, nice all that. And Jesus says, yeah. Blessed are you who are persecuted for my name. Blessed are you who mourn. And I go, Jesus, that's hard. 
Blessed, who, blessed are those who are mourned. I understand mourning because here, here, here's a personal story for me. About probably eight or nine months ago, I'm at my home in Texas, which is where my parents live. And um, my mom has just been acting really weird kind of the whole time that we're there. She's falling over. She's knocking stuff over. And I'm going, what is what's wrong with my mom? And I remember she comes up to me and she looks me in the eye and she has no idea who I am. wrong with you? And as she begins to speak, she begins to talk like a three-year-old. Just rambling, gibberish. Mom, what's going on? And from, from that time, which it was in March until this, my mom is progressively getting worse. And my wife watched me as I, my mom looked me in the eyes and had no idea who I was as I bawled like a little baby saying, God, why would this happen to me? Because I don't feel very blessed right now. And right now as I'm speaking, I guarantee that my mom is curled up on a ball on her bed in so much pain. She has no idea what to do. They've gone to doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist. She's in pain. I go, Mom, blessed are those who are mourn. Blessed are those who mourn because Jesus, to me, it makes sense that the people who are blessed are those who are happy, not those who mourn. Let me tell you the difference in the two is that what we deem as we deem blessed is right now. God deem blessed, deems blessed as eternal. Right now, we have this focus. We deem blessed as right now. God deems blessed as eternal because right now, you see our family who has come and rallied around my mom. And we're pointing to Jesus and we're saying he is our foundation. And there have been people who have come to know the Lord based solely on. They see difficult, hard times and they see people who have peace in their lives now. Now, it wasn't difficult the entire time, but it is now. And we're arrows pointing to Christ. We are arrows pointing to Christ. You see, we deem blessed as right now. God, we have a nice house, a nice family, nice car, nice job, nice future, nice all this. He says, no, I'm thinking eternally. You're thinking here. I'm thinking here give you a couple more stories just to try to help you understand my point. I have a a friend who is heavily involved in fellowship of Christian athletes, a guy I went to college with, and he asked me, he said, Pete, will you come and speak? There's a group that we've started, a bunch of high school kids. Will you come and speak at it? I was like, sure, man. So uh, I go and I pick him up, and we're on our way uh, to Springdale to this group, and I said, where are we going? I didn't even know. He didn't give me any, any of the details. All I know is I'm going to speak to a bunch of high school kids at an FCA group. And he said, have you been watching the news like in the last couple months? I said, yeah. He said, have you heard about the girl from Harbor High School who was, uh, she was hit by a car and killed. She was on her way back from a John Mayer concert. Some of you guys may have heard of that. And I said, yeah, I have. She said, he said, we're going to her house. I said, thanks for the heads up, man. I mean, no preparation, no anything like that. And uh, he says, yeah. And he said, all the guys that you're going to be speaking to are her closest friends. Thanks for the heads up. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so we get over there and there's some pretty high profile athletes who are in the room. One guy who uh, next, Saturday, or next year on Saturday afternoons, you will be watching him as the starting offensive tackle for the Razorbacks. Another guy who signed in the area uh, to play quarterback for the Razorbacks, they're sitting in the room and I'm sitting and looking at these guys going, what the heck am I about to say? I have no idea. I don't understand what they're going through. I don't, I, I don't know. The, the girl who was killed, her name's Michaela Patterson, her boyfriend at the time was sitting next to me, and he says, 
he, he just begins to, I'm trying to fill them out. I'm saying, what do you guys need? What do you want? What are you in your faith? What's, what's going on? And he says, I don't understand this. He said, my girlfriend was killed in a car wreck. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? They began to go around the room, and these kids who were, play, who were football players, they just began crying, and they're saying, what do we do? I don't understand it. All of a sudden, the, the mom walks in the room, and she says, I want every single one of you guys to know that Jesus Christ is my foundation for everything. And these kids, they look up, and they're just like, whoa. And they, they had actually, I've, I had heard stories that, building up to it, that they had seen this mom who she was the one who was hugging them. She was the one who were comforting them during this time. And one of the kids stands up and he says, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but since this death, there's been 10 kids in our high school who have come to know Jesus Christ. 10 kids because of one death have come to know Jesus Christ through it. And as they began to, I actually went back the next week. This was last Tuesday. I'll be there again this Tuesday. These guys are sitting in this room the, the guy who's going to be the offensive tackle next year, he looks me in the eye and he says, Pete, he said, I want you to know that I understand there's something worth living for that's more, that's more than this. It's more than school. It's more than football. And he said, I want people, when they watch me on TV on Saturday afternoons, to know that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Can you help me? You see, it was through a death. It was through mourning. It was through heartache. It was through things that we don't understand that Christ used for what? His eternal purpose. You see, we deem blessed as right now. God deems it as the future. He has an eternal purpose in suffering and heartache and hardship and trials. And he has an eternal purpose for that. Last story, blessed are those who are persecuted. If you look at Peter's life, I want to just walk you through his life real fast. In Matthew chapter 4, you see Peter, the, the, the apostle Peter who followed Christ he, he leaves everything. It says he leaves his boat, he leaves his family, uh, he leaves his dad to follow Christ. And, and then we see in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lays the foundation. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Matthew chapter 10, which is the next passage we're going to be in when I'm finished telling this story. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, I want you to know this. He said, you are going to be dragged before synagogues, before governors, before kings. You will be persecuted for my namesake. Fast forward to John chapter 21. Jesus has been crucified, uh, risen from the dead. They're walking along the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus appears to Peter, and he says, Peter, he said, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You, you see what I just went through? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. Three more, or two more times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, he says, feed my sheep. Jesus goes on to say, he says, when you were young, you used to feed yourself, you used to clothe yourself, you used to take care of yourself, but now that you're old, I'm going to clothe you and I'm going to take you to places you never imagined. Jesus prophesies his death and says, you are going to die a brutal, brutal, brutal death. What we just talked about, Peter was crucified upside down on the cross. We see through the book of Acts that Peter becomes one of the greatest leaders in the church of that time where he is boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and the words that Jesus prophesies in Matthew 10 to Peter actually begin to come true. Jesus is, or, uh, Peter is standing before the synagogue in Acts chapter 4 because they had just healed a man. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 5, we begin to see where, where the disciples begin to get persecuted. Uh, they're facing persecution from some of the leaders at that time. And in Acts chapter, I believe it's chapter 12, Peter is actually in prison. He's flogged and then he is put in prison. Peter's life of following Christ 
goes from Jesus saying, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have heartaches, all the way to the point where he is. You come to the end of Peter's life. And I want, to look at, I want you guys to look at this scripture. I don't know if we have it on the screen. and It's in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Let's have that verse. We'll just read it off of there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. This is what Peter says, beloved. And here's who he's speaking to at the time. He's actually speaking to the persecuted church. People who have been scattered all throughout Turkey uh, because of their faith. And he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Listen to this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is a man who has walked through his entire life of following Jesus Christ and at the end of his life, knowing very soon that he is going to die for his faith. He says, man, you're blessed. You're blessed. And I go back and I go, maybe our definition of blessed and God's definition of blessed at times can be two totally different things. Maybe God's definition of blessed and our definition of blessed are two totally different things. The second response that we hear most of the time when it comes to the persecuted church is why does God allow persecution? If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. The disciples have followed Jesus. They've watched Jesus as he's healed, as he's performed miracles, as he's cast demons out of people. And uh, it comes to a place, if you were here last week, Todd Aaron said that that, uh, 40 times in the book of John, that, that Jesus tells his disciples, God has sent me, God has sent me, God has sent me, God has sent me. And the 41st time, Jesus says, just as God has sent me, so I send you. As the disciples have walked along and they've watched um, Jesus perform all these miracles, Jesus says, all right, boys, I'm handing it off. I'm handing off the baton. You're about to go through it. Starting in verse 16, this is what he says. As he is about to send them out, he says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep, in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and as innocent as, as doves. Just in that, verse, in that first verse right there, Jesus gives us our purpose and the context for the purpose. Again, our purpose is to be sent. Our purpose is not to come to church, hear a message, and then go home and go, good message, bad message, whatever, to weigh it out. God has called us to be sent, to go. It's, and it's not just go to Africa, go to Asia. It's to go. Go to your workplace. Go minister to the people you're, that you're at. But the context for which he lays it out for us, he says, you're like a sheep amongst wolves. I was trying to think, how can I illustrate this the best? And I, I thought, could we get a sheep and a wolf in here and just let them just see what happens? I thought that'd be really cool just so people could see that. Um, so I don't have a good illustration point, but just think about that. That, that the context for which Christ has sent us out so we're, we're a sheep, and there's a wolf that wants to kill us and devour us. Never in the Bible, never, and I don't know where this comes from, but there's this idea in our American culture that being a Christian is supposed to be easy. There's this idea that you, you become a Christian and your problems go away, and it's like, then I read this and I go, never in the Bible does Jesus ever, does he paint that picture for us? So here's what he says in verse 17 says the context and here's here's what it looks like beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues 
and you will be dragged before governors and kings, listen to this, for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for what? For my namesake. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Point number two is that persecution is for the purpose of bearing witness to the name of Jesus Persecution is for the purpose of bearing witness to the name of Jesus. Look at what Paul says in Philippians, in Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 14. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he's talking about being in prison. So, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul had the same understanding. He knew that persecution, that heartache, that suffering, that those things are to bear witness to God. That way, when hardship and trials do come, the entire foundation of our lives isn't shaken. And we go, man, I have something to point to, and it's Jesus Christ. If you've heard in the last uh, several months, I can't remember when it was that Mike spoke, he uh, he kept saying this phrase. He said, when Acts 1-8 didn't happen, Acts 8-1 did. I don't know if you guys remember that. He said, when Acts 1-8 didn't happen, Acts 8-1 did. And here's, here's the story behind that is that Jesus is the very last words that he gives to his disciples before, uh, before he leaves the earth. As he, says, you will, he said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And from Acts 1-8 all the way up until Acts 8-1, the gospel stayed in one place in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to all these places. And then when he passed off, the disciples said, okay, we're going to stay here. And he did. Fast forward to to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And you see the very first martyr, Stephen. He is killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. And listen to this. Saul, one of the, uh, at that time, he was the guy who was going around kicking in doors, killing Christians, persecuting them. He was the ringleader of it all. Saul sees martyrdom, the very first martyrdom in the Bible. Saul sees it and eventually winds up becoming the greatest Christian the world has ever known and seen. And he wrote 13 books in the New Testament says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Listen to this. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, the place where the gospel wasn't going, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God allows persecution. God allows heartache. God allows fiery trials that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 4. Why? So that his name will become known. So that me and you who know that God is good regardless of our circumstances, that God has saved us regardless of what's going to happen right now, and his name becomes known 
His name becomes known in the workplace. His name becomes known in the town, in the city, in the United States. One of the things that I think is very difficult for all of us, and even me as I'm preaching, persecution's hard to understand. Um, How how do you make this personal when we are all going to walk out these doors and none of us are going to face it? And it's difficult. It's hard to understand. How do we relate it? And so for me, what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to make it a little bit personal by, by letting you guys know that we have people in our congregation who have faced persecution uh, and, and, and in foreign countries. Uh, Steve and Dow Belts, they attend our third ga- gathering. They are members of Grace Point Church and have been here for a long time. And just through several different things, I heard stories about, uh, about Dow and about her, her family. And so what I want to do, I actually uh, interviewed Dow, and I want you guys to see this and know that we as a church, regardless if we understand persecution or if we don't or if it's a part of our life or if it's not, we have a response. We have a response. But I want you to watch this video, and then we'll, we'll close. I'm from Vietnam, and... Uh in South Vietnam, so uh, my town, I lived before called like Cần Yu. So I lived there for 25 years, and I met Steve, and we got married, and came to the U.S. for seven years. My great-great-grandfather, uh, he believed Jesus um, when the Christian Missionary from America come to Vietnam 1911, and he become Christian. And he and the pastor at the church he went to, they um, they went out to the countryside and visit some people. This surprise for them. And that time, um, you know, Vietnam they call Viet Cong and try to. Uh, attack them and they put the the, the the rock and they put in the nest and tie around the tummy of them and throw them in the river. After my great great grandfather passed away and my parent my grandparent and my parents be strong, get more strong Christian after that happened. My my older brother he graduation um, college and he tried to find job and that time he looking for many things and can have job so you know God give him many talents and um, he do everything very good and. Some group of government tell him, "Can you come and join us and help us do something else and draw up for that group?" And he said, "Yes, I can do." And when he really come and join them, and they check him, his background, and say, "Oh, you Christian," and um, we can you say, "Okay, I don't." have religion and we will give you a good job you know and 
He said, I cannot stay. Okay, now I non-delusion. So my my brother rode down on the hit resume. God is the king of my life. He wrote big letter in the paper and say that. So they say, okay, you can get job here anymore. And he say, okay, thank you. And after that, he, you know, he understand God will have something better for him. When you work for the government and you have your religion, Christian religion, and they can fire you anytime. In one village, I heard about they had 2,000 people. They get up early on Saturday morning and get food, and they all walk like from 5 a.m. in the morning and get to the church at 6 p.m. and waiting for next day to worship God. And after that, and they walk back and get their home like Monday morning. Vietnamese Christians, they really strong person when they believe God.